Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. Hope you've all had a good week. If you don't know me, I'm Tom or Thomas. I'm Gary's son, but please don't judge me for that. At the same time, if you do have any complaints or if you disagree with me on anything, please go see him after the service. He'd love to hear all your complaints. This morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16. And as a church, we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel, not chapter by chapter as such. We've just been picking up some of the main stories and focusing in on them, which is why you may have noticed last week we were in chapter 13 and now we're in 16 this week. So you didn't miss two weeks, just the way we're going through it. Before we look at this passage, we're going to pray. And I want to take a step, step back as we do and put it into perspective the fact that we as humans can come before the almighty God and talk to him and he listens. It's easy to take for granted. It's easy to get into the routine to come on another Sunday, for me to open up in prayer because that's what we do every week. But we're about to talk to the creator of the universe. And then in a moment, we're about to hear from his word in 1 Samuel. He's going to talk to us and challenge us. So as a church, are we excited about that? Are we excited about the fact that we can come here and learn about this amazing God? And we can talk to this amazing God. Let's open up in prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning and acknowledge who you are. The creator of all things, the almighty God. And we praise you for that this morning. And as we open up your word in 1 Samuel, I pray that you'll touch our hearts, challenge us on what you have to say for us this morning. We commit this morning to your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we look at chapter 16, I want to give a little bit of context. So if you can take your mind back with me to chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, you don't have to turn there. This is where we see Israel's first desire for a king. This is where they first ask for a king. Then in chapter 9, we see Saul rise up, and Saul is anointed to be king over Israel. Then as we follow through Saul's kingship, we come to chapter 13, which Peter looked at last week. And there we see Saul's sin, Saul's disobedience. And then through chapters 13 through to 15, we have Saul's rejection by God as king over Israel. And this is where we pick up in 1 Samuel 16. Let's read verses 1 down to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, 
yes, and peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse calls Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. And we'll finish there. If you're a sports fan, you may have seen last week the North versus South rugby game. And what happened is the All Black selectors, All Black coaches, they got the best rugby players from the North Island, put them in a team, and the best rugby players from the South Island, and they played a game against each other. There was a lot of anticipation for the game. There was a lot of pride in it. There was All Black selection the next day. And so what I noticed in the build-up was so many comparisons were going on between the two teams. We had comparing individual players and their positions, who was better, which team was better, how much would they win by. And it got me thinking about how much impact comparisons have on our lives. Every decision we make, we use comparisons. We weigh up our options, decide which is best for us. And here in this passage in 1 Samuel, there's three comparisons that I want to show you. Firstly, the comparison between God's desires and our desires. Then secondly, God's choice compared to our choice. And thirdly, God's power compared to our power. And within these three comparisons, I want us to see what I believe is the key theme of 1 Samuel 16. And that's to show us man's earthly flaws and God's eternal flawlessness. So we start off with our first point, which is God's desires compared to our desires. If you can take your mind back with me again to 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is when we first see Israel ask for a king. And they come to Samuel and say, we want a king so we can be like the other nations. Samuel tells them no. Then Israel comes back again to Samuel. And in that reply, we see Israel's reasoning for wanting a king. In verse 19 of chapter 8, Israel says this. 
We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Israel's desire here is to be like the other nations, to improve their military power, to conquer more land, to defend themselves, to take out their enemies. And their desires here are fueled by jealousy. They see what the other nations have and think that the other nations have got it better than they do with God as their king. And sometimes I think it can be easy to see that in Israel and harder to see it in our own lives. Just how much our desires and our wants can be fueled by jealousy. How often do we look to the world and the pleasures of it and the security and we long for that, we want that in our own lives. For everyone it can be different things, whether that's possessions, influence, popularity, financial security. They can all be grouped into the desire for our own pleasure, for our pleasure. So we have our desires influenced by jealousy and the desire for our own pleasure and our own gain. But this is not what God desires. God's desire for Israel throughout the whole of the Old Testament was for them to be different to the other nations, for them to be a light to the other nations. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 23, And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods? So why does God desire Israel to be different? To make a name for himself. The root of God's desires is not jealousy. The root of God's desires is making his name known, as his own glory. And if you want a practical example of that, next time you're outside of a major city and it's nighttime, look up. Well, maybe go outside first. Look up and look at the stars and the heavens. I'm someone personally who loves astronomy and watching YouTube videos on stars, and it never blows me or never ceases to blow me away just the magnitude and the power and the ferocity of the universe. It's so amazing, and I love Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. The heavens declare the glory of God. So if you want to know how passionate God is about his glory, look at the universe. He's so passionate about his glory that he made that so that we would know how glorious and amazing he is. So as we come back to 1 Samuel 16, I'm going to read verse 1 again, but this time from the ESV translation, because I love the way it puts it. So if you've got that translation, please follow along, but if you don't, if you could just listen into some of these words. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. God here is now going to provide a new king for himself this time to fulfill his desires 
a king that will bring him glory in David. We saw back in chapter 8, Saul is described when God's talking to the Israelites as your king who you have chosen for yourselves. Your king who you have chosen for yourselves. Saul was chosen to be king to fulfill Israel's desires, not God's. But this new king, David, will be one who's after God's own heart. And he will show God's glory, firstly to God's people and then to the nations. Don't get me wrong, he wasn't the perfect king. We see some major mistakes in David's life. The perfect king is still to come, and we're going to talk about him briefly later. But, God, but David did desire to bring glory to God. So as I looked at this, think of our desires and God's. Left me with the question, why is God's desires inherently greater than ours? What makes his wants so much better than ours? And it's summed up so well in 1 John 2, verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And that's the difference. Our desires are earthly and God's are eternal. Our wants and what we think are our needs are so caught up in the here and now, in the short term. But all that will fade away. All those things will pass away. But God, his desire for his glory and his name being made known, that's going to play out not just through the history of humanity and the earth, but for all eternity. God's desires are so much greater than our own. And secondly, I want to look at God's choice compared to our choice. We all make different decisions. Everyone in this room, we choose different things. I took interest last Sunday. It was Father's Day, and so we had a couple of boxes of favourite chocolates at our house. And I took note of how everyone in our family would go for different chocolates. Mum goes for the cherry ripes. Caitlin would go for a Moro. Emily would go for a crunchy. Dad would go for whatever chocolate he can get his hands on. But we'd all make different choices based on our preferences. And it's not just what we eat. It's how we dress, where we work, what we do, who we spend our time with. We make all of these different choices in our lives because we have different points of view. We see things through our own lens. And this point of view can be affected by many things as well, whether that's our experiences, our upbringing, our personality, our circumstances. There's many different factors that give us these points of view. And I'm sure there are some things we have similar points of view on. But if two people sit down and have enough conversation about any given topic, there will be small differences. And there's many things as well that we have very, very different points of view on. Well, you see it this way, and I see it that way. So what do we do when this happens, when we have these different points of view? Well, in today's society, the correct thing to do is acknowledge everyone's point of view is equal. That we all have different points of view, but no one is superior to any other. And here in 1 Samuel 16, I want to show you the flaw in our points of view. I believe that comes through here. So we'll read verse 6. When they arrived, 
Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So here's Samuel's point of view, his point of view on who should be the new king. For him, Eliab is the obvious choice. It makes sense. He has all the attributes that from a human perspective would make a great king. He's tall, he's good looking, he's likely quite muscly. He would make a great leader in Samuel's eyes. And I can almost imagine as Eliab walks out and Samuel sees him, Samuel sort of reaching to grab his horn of oil. That was easy. First one of Jesse's sons and we've found him. Because Eliab was such a, in Samuel's eyes, obvious choice, brought my mind back to Saul and how we see Saul introduced. In the same way, tall, Saul was set as a head above everyone else in Israel. Both good-looking, both the obvious fit to be king. But they, we see with Saul that he failed. He had so much promise, but he still failed because his heart was in the wrong place. So let's read verses 7 down to 10. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So here we have God's point of view. And God's point of view is different from our human point of view and that it isn't limited. He's not limited by what we can see with our eyes. He looks at the heart. And throughout the entire Bible, from the Old Testament to the New, we see that God desires people, first and foremostly, that have a heart for him. He's interested in the heart. He wants people who have a heart for him. He's not deceived by outward appearances as we are. He's not tricked by the things people do, the way they looked, the things they say. And this shows us why we have such different points of view, why we make all these different choices. Because our point of view, unlike God's, is limited. We have limited understanding, limited experience, limited knowledge. We often talk about hindsight, and I know there's been many times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, where I've looked back at a decision I've made and what's happened because of that and thought, if I'd known how that was going to turn out, I never would have done that. If I'd known that was going to happen, I wouldn't have made that choice. But God doesn't have to worry about hindsight. God is outside of time. He's an eternal perspective. He doesn't make decisions wondering what will come, hoping it will turn out for the best. He makes decisions in full knowledge of the outcome. So if God has a point of view, it will not be one among many, it will not be another point of view. His will have absolute validity and always be perfect. And because he has the perfect point of view, his choices will always be perfect as well. He will always make the right call. Let's read the next two verses from verse 11. 
So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So here we have God's choice in David. God's choices are radically different from our own. And they almost always will be because God has such a different perspective from us. We can't expect to be able to figure out what God would choose in any given scenario because we don't see things the same way he does. So why do we expect God's plan and choices for our lives to line up with our own? I'm sure many of you here will have a rough five-year plan of where you see yourself in the next five, maybe longer, maybe shorter, what you want to do in the next years of your life. But are you open to the fact that God might have something completely different in mind for you? You see yourself going over here, but God says, no, I'm preparing you for something way over here in a way you would never expect. And as I was thinking about this, the question it left me with was would I have sent my one and only son to die for people who have done nothing but reject me? Would I have made that choice? To be quite honest with you this morning, the answer would be no. That's not a call that I would have made, but God did. He chose to send his son, the perfect King Jesus, to die for us. So yes, choosing David was a strange choice, but choosing to send Jesus was so much stranger. So don't get sad, don't get downtrodden in the fact that God's plan might not line up with yours. Let's rejoice in the fact that we have a God who will always, always make the perfect choice. A God who loves us enough to send his son as a sacrifice. And before we move on, I think it can be easy to forget how little sense God picking David would have made at the time. Because we see the man David becomes and what he accomplishes later on in life. And so I've got a little bit of an example to try and help us. So if I can get Hadley, Craig and Elijah up and just come stand on stage. <laughs> Cheers, Dave. <laughs> so what I want you guys to picture is you've just really annoyed a group of guys 20 meters away, and they're coming to beat you up. We've got two options here. <laughs> And you get to pick one of these three lovely young guys to help you out in a fight. I feel like I'm running some sort of weird game show. <laughs> Who are you going to pick? Is it Craig? <laughs> he's tall, good looking, he's ginger, that might put them off. I'd, I'd take Craig in a fight. Is it Hadley? Hadley's another tall guy, muscly. He's a mechanic, so he's going to be strong. Or is it Isaiah? I almost said Elijah there. Because <laughs> let's be realistic. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, the young one, the small one. We don't want that in a fight. 
And that's what a king is for Israel, someone to lead them into battle. So God's choice is so much, so much stranger than our own. So thanks for that, God. You can grab a seat. God's choice is greater than ours. And thirdly, I want to look at God's power compared to our power. If we read verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. It can be easy to forget that David was an ordinary person. We remember him as the man that killed Goliath, who wrote many of the Psalms, the great king of Israel, who all future kings will be compared to, and none but Jesus will live up to. How can that man be ordinary? And yes, David's life became everything but ordinary, but not because of any greatness within David himself. The great aspects of David's life were accomplished through God's power. See, God did not choose someone insignificant like David for no reason. Because David was ordinary, God could be extraordinary through David. And David had access to the extraordinary power of God because he did not consider himself to be great. Saul, on the other hand, got too wrapped up in his own greatness. He tried to do things through his own strength. And therefore, God's spirit, we see, is taken away from him. And it is God's spirit and God's power that makes the extraordinary possible. How else could Joseph, a foreign criminal, become second in command of all of Egypt? How else could Gideon take an army, if you can even call it that, of 100 men and defeat an army of 100,000? Sorry, it was 300 men. I love the way Zechariah sums up all of the great people we see throughout the Old and New Testament in chapter 4, verse 6 of his book. Not by strength or might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by strength or might, but by my spirit. And too often, like Saul, we try to accomplish things through our own strength and our own might. But only through God's power and through God's spirit can we accomplish anything of eternal value. Once we start to realize just how powerless, how insignificant and weak we are, can we begin to rely on the all-powerful God? Not that he needs us, and that's the beautiful thing. He doesn't need us. God didn't need Saul. God didn't need David to accomplish his plan. God doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me, but he chooses to use us. Isn't that great? God's power is greater than ours. So how does this affect us? We've looked at three comparisons this morning between us and God, looking at our desires, our choices, and our power. And hopefully you've learned and seen how flawed we are as people and how flawless God is. But if you leave here with nothing but head knowledge, then I've wasted your time. I mentioned at the start how we use comparisons to make choices. We weigh things up and pick the best option. 
And the choice that you have that I want to pose to you this morning is this. Will you trust God with your life? Will you trust God with your entire life? And if you're a believer, please don't switch off. Because I know that sounds like a gospel message to people who don't know Christ. And yes, it is. But it's also a message for us as Christians. Because yes, we have been saved by grace and Jesus' work on the cross. But we still have a daily decision on whether we're going to trust God with everything in our lives. This passage gives us a picture of a God who can be trusted. His desires are pure, his choices are perfect, and his power is unlimited. But we still have things in our life that we hold to ourselves. We don't give over to God because we think we need them. I don't know what that is for you, but I know for many of you, I'm sure something popped into your mind when I said that, that you're not willing to let go. But we have a God who is almighty and wants to use us to accomplish extraordinary things, but only once we die to ourselves and give up the things in our life. So I challenge you this week as you go out, will you put your trust in the perfect God? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. The fact that you would give us a book that we as humans can read and we can learn about you and grow closer to you. That you would desire a relationship with us makes no sense. That you made that unbelievable choice to send your son for our sin. And we praise you for that this morning. We give you thanks in your name. Amen. 